With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Class is in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, And I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. Joined today by Sports Illustrated staff writer, fellow Northwestern University class of 2015 Wildcat. It's Jeremy Wu. Wu, what's up, man? Hey, man. I'm uh, in Vegas right now. I'm calling in from this uh, luxurious hotel room. Uh, yeah, what happened here? You got way too nice of a hotel. Did you say you got two bathtubs? I think I got... No, there's only one bathtub. Um, you know, sometimes you get free upgrades and you don't realize it. Uh, I think that's what happened here. So, yeah, it's way... There's way too much space for one person, but it's uh, nice that I can work out of here. I am here for the uh, Victor Wimbayama exhibition games this week, um, <laughs> which I am excited about. Um, if you don't know him, he will probably be the number one pick in the draft next year, and he's playing against Scoot Henderson and G League Ignite. So it's uh, you know it's not often you get the number one versus number two uh, matchups in season. You know these are exhibitions, and I guess we got it last year because. Um, you know, Paolo Bencaro and Chet Holmgren played head-to-head here in Vegas also. Um, but this is, you know, they went out of their way, you know, to come here from France to play Ignite. So it's going to be interesting. And I think a large chunk, a high percentage of the people who make decisions in the, in the NBA are here this week for at least one, if not both of these games. So, um, yeah, it'll be it'll be. Yeah, that's all, that's all well and good. I'm more interested to know is do you also turn into a climate criminal – when you get into a hotel room, because I'm going to be honest, the first thing I do when I get into a new hotel room, especially when I'm in a hot city, like when I'm in Phoenix, I'm turning the AC down to like 66 degrees. What's what's your game plan? What's your strategy in that regard? Uh, honestly, I didn't touch it this time. <laughs> what? Normally, it doesn't really. Um, I don't really notice it. I don't know. Dude, that's you. I. You're wearing you a hoodie. You're in Vegas. I don't like any of this. I wear hoodies all the time. Well, a bunch of people were who I ran into yesterday were like, "Why are you wearing like a jacket and a sweatshirt and a beanie?" It's like, man, like I'm, I came from a cold weather locale and I'm gonna be in Colorado this weekend. Like, you don't know what's gonna happen. Uh, I, I just lost all trust in you if, if finding out that you don't even look at the AC thermostat. That's like the that's like the number one thing on my checklist when I'm on the road. I mean, I look at the forecast, but I assume I assume most hotels are going to be cold. Like, I care about the outside weather. So I don't like it at all. Well, on that note, now that I know Jeremy's an absolute sociopath who can't be trusted, we're going to dive into Sports Illustrated's top 100 list. We're recording this on a Tuesday. So far, uh, players 100 through 31 have been released on SI.com. Uh, We're going to get 30 through 11 on Wednesday, and then the top 10 will be revealed on Thursday. This list was put together by myself, Jeremy Wu, and our colleague Chris Herring. 
Uh, I had fun making this list. I'm really proud of this list. I think we did a pretty good job. Uh, I, I, it's funny. I always have this experience. I look at the list as it starts to come out, and I'm like, how did we have so-and-so there? And why is this guy not above this guy? But I think there's always a lot of second-guessing. Wu, let me just start with the, the basic question, because I know I was stirring up some controversy with our group chat when I decided how I wanted to make my list. So keep in mind, we gotta be we gotta be a little wary of spoilers here. We don't want to reveal one through thirty just yet. But tell me about the methodology you used to make your list. Um, you know, how did you decide to put the players in the order you put them in? Yeah, um, this year I think I made a point of not looking at last year when I did it. Like sometimes I think it's useful as a frame of reference, but I tried to not like. Like I guess I guess one thing that I've learned because I do a lot of rankings and lists because I do the NBA draft, um, as you know, and some people probably know from listening to this, like, um, it's important to not get like too tethered to like how you felt before. Uh, <laughs> like the truth is that it doesn't matter. And like, if you're trying to be objective, like you kind of got to remove your own failings or successes, like from it, you know, and you have to like recalibrate, like, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, when I make the list, like, I, I guess well for the first thing I do is I uh I go through I just go to the Wikipedia page where it has all the NBA players listed and I just make sure I don't forget anyone. Like have you ever been in that page with like NBA rosters? Like seriously, this is what I do is I read through the rosters of all thirty teams just to make sure that there's like no candidates that I forget. So Which this I know is you funny didn't do because you forgot at least like three well, players I, on there. I, so this is the thing is I got accused. I like I got accused. I turned my list in last and Herring and you were both were like, Did you just look at our lists? And and I was like, I I tried to acquire a pool of players by looking at your guys' list, but like I think I left Desmond Bain, who I love Desmond Bain, off my list by accident. Which this happens. You get sometimes you get so lost in the sauce that uh, inevitably some players don't make your list. Like I think we all had some high profile misses, but no, I did not know that this Wikipedia page existed. Yeah, it's great. Um, it's like a nice handy like check checklist thing. But yeah, I mean, I I think like. It's really hard to explain, like, how it's done. Because for me, it's always, like, when I'm making a list, it's kind of like a feel exercise. Uh, and it's always going to be influenced by, you know, my personal preferences. <laughs> and because and because I do so much scouting, is it's like there's certain things that I just care about more than other things. Um, but also, like, this year, I think once we had all three of our lists, like... I admit, like, I did make a couple tweaks because there was, like, some guys I just... You guys were so much further off than me. And ahead of time, I tweaked it so we didn't have to argue about it because I was like, I think you guys are probably closer than me on this. So, like, you know, the collaborative process that we have, I think, actually does work well. Um, but I, I don't think it, like, overly influenced how I did it. But, uh, yeah, the other thing is you guys watch the NBA more than I do during the season. Like, I only have so much time. So, like, also a lot of what I know about these players is more heavily influenced by, like, what I knew of them, you know, as prospects and then, you know, obviously I keep track of the NBA, but it's just, it's not like I'm watching, uh, you know, Scotty Barnes play 25 times a season. I just don't have time for that. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's very inexact as you know. Um, well, this brings me to my next point Yeah, because this is really, this is not actually a podcast. This is an intervention for your RJ Barrett takes, as I look at the list, I think we have R.J. Barrett too low, and I don't know why we had him lower than Julius Randle, and I'm upset about it, and it's your fault because I don't even know if you wanted to make a top 100 list. I think you just wanted to put R.J. Barrett at the bottom of it, and I just want to know why Why there's, why there's is there so much hate in your heart, and I'm not even, you know, I, you know me, I'm not here caping for the Knicks on this podcast, no. but... I think that was one of the probably the bigger arguments we had because you texted me about him before we even made our list. Like you made it a point to preemptively strike I against thought, me. I thought those texts were a safe space, man. <laughs> no, they are nothing. Everything is on the open floor record. Ask Michael Pina. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, I, I think like I almost didn't put him on my top 100. I did after we talked about it. Um, I ranked him, you know, what did I put him? Like 92. And what do we have him like 89 in the end? So like I wasn't that far off from where we had him. Um, I don't know, man. I just think like it's so hard to be a star with what he has. And I think sometimes we just look at guys who are wings and do have a reputation and who score a lot and say, oh, why can't this guy do that? But like 
RJ Barrett is like not the same type of player as Jason Tatum. And I'm not saying that anyone says that, but just if you look at RJ and you look at what he's doing and you look at what the trajectory is for him, that's just like not to me, uh, you know, a player who can carry a team and like he he's a supporting player who's still kind of inefficient. And, you know, I was reading an article and I think he was talking about how it's like, yeah, you know, he doesn't feel like he needs to shoot a lot of threes. He's just going to be who he is, which is like good and bad because yeah, it'd be nice if, I always appreciate when guys, you know, understand their strengths and weaknesses, but also like, dude, like if RJ doesn't shoot reliably from three, then it comes at the expense of like, you know, when you're playing a guy who's a high volume, non three point shooter like that, like unless that guy is Jimmy Butler, it's like matters because it's a, you know, it's a opportunity cost thing where, you know, you're only going to play realistically, you know, two, maybe three like true creators in the floor at a time in the NBA, right? Most teams. Um, and every guy you have on the floor who isn't a great shooter, like it's a trickle down effect where it's like, well, when the other guy has the ball, he's hurt by it. And then when RJ has the ball, like you got everybody else has to be able to shoot. And it's just a matter of like, you know, is he going to be good enough that it warrants, you know, being the guy who you put the shooters on the floor with, right? Like you build the lineups around him. And I just don't think he will be. Um, I do think he's gotten better. Um, defensively, he's gotten better. Like he works really hard. Like that's never been an issue for him. Like he cares. Uh, I just. I just question if he's going to like hit the threshold where it's like, oh, we can talk about this guy as someone who can like carry a team, right? And the Knicks are paying, you know, they paid him a contract that suggests that they are hoping that he will do that. Uh, I'm, I'm not confident he'll do that. But just, just purely for next season, like, which is, again, going back to how we do the list, it's for next season. Uh, I just don't think we can pretend like a giant leap just because there's nothing saying it's going to be that much better, frankly. Like their team framework didn't really change. You know, Brunson will help, yeah. but... It's interesting, and I want to use him to talk about a player who actually signed an extension this week, Tyler Hero. They're obviously in the same draft class. I, Looking at our list, and this is, again, someone who I was like, it's not worth arguing about this. I mean, Herring, I think, also had him in the late 80s on his list. When I look at our list, like, so my methodology was, if I was playing a pickup game at Lenox Isle, my neighborhood court, you know, if I'm playing a pickup game at Mullins Park and these hundred players are standing in front of me and I'm picking them one to a hundred, like that's honestly was my methodology. And I feel like Pino is like, what's wrong with you? But then he came back with like, oh, so-and-so made an all-NBA team. And I, I just, I tried to block out everything. And I was just like, who do I think is a better basketball player? And it sounds simple, but you can really just kind of trick yourself when you're making these lists because you're looking at things like, was this person efficient, but who were his teammates? Why did he have to take these shots? And were they all NBA? Were they this and that of their position? And I'm just like, if I'm really trying to remove context and I think I'm at, and I'm at the park and like, who do I want to play with? That was kind of my thinking. That's how I went with it. Um, when I look at our list now, again, I'm proud of our list. I think we did a really good job and you know, I, we try. Like, this is not something that we do just to rankle feathers or whatever. Like, we really – it takes a lot of time for us to put together these lists. I kind of wish we had Barrett, at least, again, for me. Like, he's probably in the early 70s for me just because – that on my methodology, right? Like, if I'm at the park, I'm probably picking him over Porzingis or Brogdon. But you're saying this – but you put him 82 on the list. I know, I know, but I in part because I knew that it was going to be eighty two is like me trying to compromise um, for the wars to come. But I want to talk about Tyler Hero a little bit. So Hero came in um, at sixty one on our list. You and I both had him ranked at, at sixty. You know, just to give people some insight, we each made our list individually, put them together. Then we got on a phone call, kind of talked everything through, make some tweaks, this guy up, this guy down. We both had Hero in kind of that 60 range, which is obviously quite far ahead of Barrett on this list. And I think they're a natural comparison point because they play the same position. They're in the same draft class. I want to ask you about Hero because I've been pretty critical about him on this podcast. And like Heat Twitter, people always get mad at me. That's not because I think he's not a good player. I think sometimes the hype with him gets a little carried away. What are your thoughts on Hero? And I'm curious where you fall kind of on this Hero versus Barrett debate. Um, because, you know, Knicks fans would certainly tell you they'd rather have Barrett. Uh, yeah, what are your thoughts, Will? 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It was funny. Like, when I was doing the list, too, I wouldn't say I necessarily expected to have him that high, either, if I'm just being honest. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, But I looked at his numbers from last year, and it's like, you know, he's he's gotten better every year. And I, mm-hmm. I think, obviously, the defense is an issue. He didn't play well in the playoffs. Um, you know, these are all things that, uh, you know, are, are fair to discuss, but I... I do think just the pure shooting splits, like if we're if we're talking about, you know, which guys who are under twenty five can actually like make a star of scoring leap, like he is on the short list mm-hmm. because he's already doing it, uh, mm-hmm. you know, pretty efficiently. I mean, he averaged twenty a game. He only you know was coming off the bench most of the season and um, you know shot, shot thirty nine, nearly forty from three on you know nearly uh, six point seven attempts. Like that's. I didn't even realize that that was what he did last year, you know. So that that's impressive, and you, I think you have to give credit to that. And um, look, I mean, if you just think about how you know the best you know perimeter scorers play, I mean, he's got the jumper and he can create for it. And it's like there aren't that many guys who have that skill set. Uh, and he's got some size, and uh, you know, I think he cares. I think being in Miami has probably been good for him. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, you know, I understand why it's is he's divisive, and I do think there's. You know, maybe some overhype. I don't know. I'm not as online as you are. I don't, I don't really know what people are saying about anybody. I do that on purpose. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't have a problem with where we had him. Just, I, I don't know. Um, well, like, he, would, I, would I really rather a- have – I mean, if you look at the other guys, like, who we had 61 to 70 or even 80, it's like if you're really going through that list, it's like – I think it's tough too because we have this new wave of young younger NBA players coming in, and we have mm-hmm. the veterans who we are used to ranking fall out. So it's like we're trying to establish, mm-hmm. you know, who belongs where. Right. Um, when right. we really look at him and compare him with, uh, you know, some of the other guys, it's like, yeah, I, I think I'd rather, you know, yeah. have him and guess that he'll keep improving it and things he's already pretty good at. at yeah. Age and so. For sure. And we talked about this last year when we when we did these podcasts. When you get to that 60 to 100 range, it's really hard. It's really hard to separate guys. It's really hard to separate them from their context. Um, it becomes a much more difficult exercise. Hero's interesting to me because like, he really struggled in the playoffs even before the injury. Um, the Heat were a huge minus with him on the floor when they were an otherwise successful playoff team. Really struggled defensively. This is always a tough one. And I'm not going to give away the rankings, but, you know, we have guys like Donovan Mitchell and Trey Young coming up in the top 30 who it becomes kind of very difficult to rank guys like that. And obviously we, we don't believe heroes in that class and we had them, you know, in the back half of the list. But those players who score a lot, score really efficiently, but are clear and present and massive minuses on the defensive end. I, do you do you think it's fair to say like this list? It's just always going to skew offensive talent over defensive talent, or you know, h- how do you how did you factor those in? Because I think that I personally, I've realized when I'm making these lists, I come to value the players who I think can I put them on the floor in the last six minutes of a game seven and not worry that they're getting targeted every time down the floor, or even if they are getting targeted, that I'm confident they're going to win some of those battles. I start to lean in that direction on my list. I want those guys who I can trust in the last few minutes of a playoff game. Now, again, that's a highly specific context. So I'm curious, how do you how do you make that distinction on some of these guys who are scorers but can't play defense? Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, I think the hardest thing to find is guys who are – efficient scorers but also can do it like at volume right and like mm-hmm. we're trending in that direction um i think you know that tends it is an offense first league like it's an offensive minded nba it is, is what it is so uh you know knowing understanding that framework i mean i think that you know tends to trump defense to a point um you know for splitting hairs between guys i mean you know i was not as high on donovan mitchell as you guys were um but you know, I, to to your point about like guys being able to close games, I think that's something that also just happens with like maturity and time. Like mm-hmm. any twenty year old or twenty two year old, whatever you know, here like hero was like is going to be face a much steeper learning curve in the playoffs. It just is what it is. So I think mm-hmm. I try not to overthink that because I do think that's that reliability is something that some guys have and some guys can develop. And 
you know, some guys never do, but, you know, point being, it's like, you know, shit, these guys help you get to the playoffs. You got to get there first, right? So it's like, I don't want to put the cart before the horse. Like, I think, I think Hero being an efficient scorer who can create his own shot with volume and do it efficiently is probably more, a little bit more important than him, you know, being a bad defender situationally at times, oftentimes. But um, also, you know, he's young enough that I think it's, he can still get better, right? He can still get a little bit stronger. Like, guys, guys can figure these things out. Um, but it's a lot harder to say, you know, hey, like, random, you know, a random shooting guard who's not on the top 100 list, I don't know who to say, but... You know, saying some guy is going to suddenly be able to score like Tyler Hero, that's not going to happen. But can Tyler, mm-hmm. you know, raise his defensive level to be competent uh, on a franchise that successfully helps guys become good defenders? Like, yeah, probably eventually. Um, so I try not to overthink that mm-hmm. element of it. Because, um, like, ultimately, look, if we're talking about guys who, if, if the defense is so bad that it is truly hurts their dollar value, uh, too, then those guys are specialists, right? And then that's where you then... That's one thing that we talked about too. Like I always feel like in our list, historically, and there are years where I did this, like mostly myself, and I always feel like some of the specialist guys get ranked too high. It's like why I left Harris off. Like really good player. There's like you know probably a dozen guys who can kind of great shooters who can kind of plug and do those things. And um, I don't know. For for me, it's just like harder for me to say that that's a d- definite like person who deserves to be in the back end of right. all this guys who play that role, not singling out Joe Harris, but just as an example. No, it's a good yeah. point. I mean, Duncan Robinson was on our list last year when it was like, he was a historic, that's what you need to be a historically good specialist. I think to make this list, which yeah. is, and I think we be. are, we are a little bit recency biased from the last yes. year's playoffs. When we do this, we just, it's kind of just, is what it's it impossible is. not to be. Yeah. But I, I also think that, yeah, again, the last 20 spots are, they should be fluid enough that it, it can be mm-hmm. different paces every year and not necessarily be wrong. Right. This is it. We've got an Amex platinum pro on our hands. Ladies and gentlemen, we haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the centurion lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking. When we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, there's more players I want to get to on the list. Let's get into the snubs a little bit because I think I think originally we all had Russell Westbrook on at 100 on our list and in the process of discussing it realized we put him at 100 as a figurehead, but all of us kind of realized we don't think he's on the list. 
Um, we've talked about Russ a lot on this podcast. I think anyone who watches basketball knows the problems now, right? He's inefficient. He's seemingly inflexible. You know, the Lakers are, are in a position where they have to say the right things and they're saying the right things and allegedly Russ is playing the right way. You know, it's October 4th. The season hasn't even really started yet. It's always easy to be hopeful now. Do you think there's a a scenario in which Westbrook can make his way back onto the top 100? Um, I think it's going to be tough. I mean, again, we discussed leaving him in. Um, you know, it was kind of like the threshold is like, you know, I, I thought it would be interesting, I guess, to rank him in 100 just to make a point like, this is kind of the tipping point for, for Westbrook mm-hmm. this year. And look, I mean, it's also one of the tricky things about this is like, guys' contracts and how they affect, you know, how they're really valued around the NBA. Like, if Westbrook were on an affordable contract, you know, they, it would have been easy to trade him by now because it would have, you know, the cost-benefit thing becomes different. But, like, I just think um, when it comes down to it, like, I don't feel bad saying this. Like, do we really – do you really want Russell Westbrook on your team right now after what we've seen where it's like mm-hmm. we know what it looks like when he's the guy. It's not good anymore. And we know that he's inflexible and won't change his style of play really to – in a way that helps. Um, and I don't know. I mean, again, the Lakers, you know, their supporting cast is not very good, frankly, and it wasn't. So he's not the only reason that they were bad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are a lot of things going on with that team. Uh, but when it comes down to it, is it's just like, based on what we've seen from this guy and he's not a young guy anymore. We know who he is and we know his tendencies. Uh, like, do you want this guy in your team if you're trying to win this year? And the answer is no. So, um, yeah, the more we talked about it, the more I was like not tethered to the idea that we had to have him on the top 100. But yeah, it's weird. It's weird putting him as a snub. It's going to be a weird case study. But like, I mean, throwing it back at you, like, what would he have to do this year um, for you to consider like putting him back on the list, even at like 90, right? I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a, no, it's a really good question. And I'm with you. I mean, you look at some of the guys later in this list. I mean, Dinwiddie, for example, is just a more efficient scorer at this point in his life. Covington is 3 and D. I mean, he realistically, he has to prove, like you said, that he can be a part of a winning team. And it's been so long since he's kind of really influenced a team in a positive way. I mean, even those Rockets teams that, you know, that Rockets team that made the playoffs, they had to change everything they did, you know, basically get rid of all their centers to try to accommodate Russ and it still looked really bad in that second round loss to the Lakers who then traded for him, which didn't really make any sense a year later. So it's tricky, man. I, I think he has to really commit himself to being a role player. Uh, He's never going to, he has, and and that's the thing is it's like, even in a pre granted it's a preseason game, but there's already a clip going around. He falls asleep on defense. Like what it would take is him not falling asleep on defense committing himself to like making the most of his athleticism on that end of the floor. Um, he's probably a second unit guard running pick and rolls, you know, not shooting any threes, but trying to find efficiency in the, in the mid range and at the rim, which I think are his, his best bets at this point in his career. But yeah, man, it's, that's the thing is that I think that's why we felt comfortable leading him off the list. Like none of us are confident that he's willing to make that change. And to me, it's just a bummer because I think there's a talented NBA player within him. He was one of my most, fun players to watch for years even with all the flaws just the way he you know explodes off the tv screen explodes in the gym when you watch him play that athleticism but to me it's like it's really a bummer more than anything else because of i think i still think there's a talented basketball player in there yeah i know i mean it it did feel kind of bad leaving him off but um i don't know i mean who do we put at 100 again well miles turner yeah yeah i mean at some point the buck has to stop somewhere i guess and um, I don't know. It's it's just hard to say. I mean, this, this is one of the. It's why it's an interesting exercise. Yeah. You know. Um, well, speaking of Miles Turner at 100, every year I find centers to be the hardest guys to rank on this list because I think they're the most context dependent players in the league. Unless you have like a Bam or a Carl Towns or that kind of big. You know, we had Turner at 100. Some people are not fans of his all. He's been on the trade block all this time. You know, I look at him as like someone he can shoot threes a little bit and he can protect the rim. It's But, uh, you know, his contract, all these things play into it. 
do you uh, do you find it easy to rank centers? Difficult? Is there a position that kind of sticks out to you? But though, I mean, even Gobert, we were a little bit um, all over the place on Gobert, which is going to come up in the next round of this list. Uh, what's kind of your how do you weigh those types of players? Because you look at someone like a Jonas Valanciunas, who's relatively high on our list, I think. It's just a position that's not really valued in the league anymore. Yeah, um, I don't know. Center is so relative because, like, um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's just it's proven and, you know, the different approaches some teams have taken uh, to the position. Um, you know, if you don't have a – and beat or Jokic, you know, some some people want to tag team those minutes and kind of like platoon, and you can kind of do it. But it's, it's like, look, I mean, if you look around at who the best teams are, most of them still have good bigs, right? It's just a matter of, um, you know, how do you, how, how much are you relying on that guy? And then in the playoffs, you know, how much does it matter? And, you know, the Nuggets and the Sixers continue to hit walls in that way a little bit. But um, I don't know. I, I think it's something that is hard for me to – I try not to overthink it, like – I don't know. I, I definitely still value and I care about bigs because mm-hmm. I think if you have a good one who can pass and do a lot of different stuff, like it enables you to do more things, right? Um, but I also do think we did a fairly good job of like, I think we largely like gave a bump to like perimeter players this year, mm-hmm. maybe more than even in past years. Um, like if you look at the bigs, we didn't really rank that many uh, mm-hmm. in the 50 to 100. I mean, um, I don't know. I mean, look, you still need a center sometimes. Yeah. Like, small ball is cool, but you still have to have really good other players to do it. Like, you know, the small ball lineups that work, it's because you have Steph Curry in the game. It's not because, mm. <laughs> you know, it's not because, uh, you know, credit Draymond, but like, yeah. if Steph's not in the game, that's still a bad lineup, right? So, like, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. Context is the hardest thing, but like, I do think, um, you know, we got Zubak in there, you know, Nurkic, Nurkic stayed on the list. Um, Al Horford, I think, deserved some credit this year. Yeah, especially after the playoffs. Um, but yeah, there's plenty of centers who we still didn't rank. I think we were fair about it. How different would your list look if you were making a list of the top 100 players you want in a playoff series? Um, RJ Barrett wouldn't be on it. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, I no, think, no. I mean, in all seriousness, like PJ Tucker would be on my list. Like, I'm maybe yeah, yeah, moving yeah. Draymond higher on, on a list like that yeah if, if, we, if it was a list of that it would then skew towards experience a little bit more um probably like versatility and role players and whatnot would probably even be valued more i do think we got and pj tucker is a good example but i do think we got like the robert covington and like the dorian right, dorian right. Smith, dylan brooks and we got we got those guys on the list yeah and those are good you know reliable guys who you are happy to have like in a playoff series um as long as you don't have to rely on them too much to score, right? So, like, I think we balanced that all right. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that would be an interesting exercise just on its own for sure. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you a question. Where do you rank Draymond Green on the list of best defenders in the NBA right now? Um, I mean, he's still pretty high. Uh, I, rank, I had him valued on my list lower than you guys did just because I think – age and his lack of size and being banged up at some point those things add up um but again he kind of reminded everyone in the playoffs like he had some bad games on offense but like Mm. the amount of direction he can give uh and just like toughness and the the things that matter i mean he still has it um i don't know i mean you you make a good case so you know if we had draymond where we had him in the you know late 30s i mean maybe we should have put pj tucker at 99 or something but like (laughs) um yeah, I mean, I, I think what he does is still valuable. I just I think it's going to get less valuable every year. Um, it, that's always an interesting I, I one to me. Ranking, yeah. I mean, that's always an interesting one to me because, you know, Bam, I think, is probably my pick for best defender in the NBA right now. He's going to come up in the top 30, which we'll talk about later this week. But Draymond's such an interesting one because I think I have him at worst the second best or second most impactful defender in the NBA because of all the things he can do. And I, I understand the concerns with his offense. Uh, he's very fortunate to play alongside Steph Curry and all the shooting the Warriors have. It's just at the same time, it's crazy for me to think about how, oh yeah, the second best defender in the NBA or the second most impactful defender in the NBA can be ranked that low. And, you know, Gobert's another person who hasn't been in the, in the 131 yet. He's going to come up in the next section of this list, but... 
that's an interesting one to me. Like, do I really want, and I'm sure I had Gobert ranked higher on my own list, but it's just one of those ones that I always come back to. It's like, do I really want Rudy more than Draymond in a high leverage moment? Probably not, but that's what makes this list so hard, right? Because there's no, it's a weird thing we do to ourselves where there's no actual criteria, no actual end game to it. Yeah, but sometimes I, mean, I look at that and I'm like, I think Draymond's a better basketball player. Yeah, but, you know, in the context of regular season, um, mm-hmm. if you had put Draymond on the Jazz for five years, they would not have been the most efficient offense in the NBA or whatever last year, best offense. Yeah. And they wouldn't have been 50-win team probably, frankly. You know, um, mm-hmm. it would have been. You know, but it's just it, it just it's, it's such a relative game. Um, mm-hmm. And I think... I think where we had him is fine. I mean, it kind of brings back what you said earlier about, you know, how do we value defense versus offense? And, you know, I think that kind of reflects, I mean, like, what we had him, like, 38, Draymond? I think he's ended up 36-ish or something like that. Yeah, in that range, right? In that yeah, range. so, like, I don't know. You, you still give credit. Um, but at the end of the day, he was still, you know, maybe, I guess, the third or fourth best player on the team when the finals, mm-hmm. like, Wiggins, Wiggins had an amazing playoffs, Jordan Poole had some amazing games, like, it wasn't like Draymond was, like, the second best player every single game behind Steph, like, there were games where he wasn't good, and, um, I don't know, I mean, me saying this is just mentioning things, <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah. but, like, it just, it just kind of proves my point, is it's, like, when we're trying to make these arguments, you can kind of pick and choose what you want to talk about, but, mm-hmm. um, again, I had him 46 on my list, which is yeah. lower than we had him, but I understood why you guys had him where you had him. Who were the most difficult players for you to rank um, from 131? Mm. Who were the guys that stood out to you that you were like, you know, we ended up all having to have a collective conversation about Kyrie Irving, who we put at 36 finally. But, yeah, I'm curious for you, like, were there guys that stand out that you were like, I don't really know where to put this guy. I mean, for me, like Michael Porter Jr. was a tough one. Um, Clay Thompson was a tough one for me because I'm still a Clay believer. Uh, I think I accidentally left Tobias Harris just straight up off my list. He ended up in the 50s. So I'm curious, who were some of the guys that you were like, I don't, I'm not sure where to begin with this guy. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, Kyrie, I don't know if we want to mm-hmm. have that whole conversation right Let's now. Let's do it. Let's do it. I think Kyrie was definitely the hardest to place just not knowing how much he'll play. And yes, it's a contract year. And yes, like, you know, the whole vaccination thing is less of an issue now going into this season, but, you know, he could still, you know, disappear at times and, like, but and like literally disappear, not just play back, but, like, <laughs> yeah. not be on the team. So, like, it's really hard. Um, you know, Ben Simmons was also a little bit difficult, mm-hmm. but at least, at least we know he's going to play. Um, but, you know, when I was doing my ranking, like, I gave a nod to, like, Evan Mobley and Cunningham and Scotty Barnes, and, like, I would rather have those guys than, uh, than Simmons right now probably, right? I mean, just based off how the last – year and a half is gone mm-hmm. um and so i don't know those guys were hard i mean we talked about Sabonis with herring that's probably a good conversation mm-hmm. to have with chris later because i think chris is the one who's the biggest Sabonis skeptic um i don't know um do you think wiggins, the Kings... wiggins was hard because wiggins is a good recency bias example yeah like, yes wiggins was a tough one he had a good year pro- year, i, I might like, be higher on wiggins though i, I think he was Really good last year, and it's uh, I thought him had ranked the highest, I think. I think or you and I maybe tied, yeah. I think he can repeat it. I mean, I ultimately was happy with where I had him. Um, like Robert Williams and Capella were hard for me because the center thing, we still had them pretty high. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, and once you get into the 60s, like Vucevic, like I had him pretty low, like he was hard. Um, and then I think those are some of the main ones. I don't know, like. I know which role players I like, so the, that was not not as hard for me because I just at that point it's personal taste. Yeah, yeah. I'm a little worried about Clay Thompson making us look like an idiot. That if I had to pick I hope he does. Yeah. one player that I'm most concerned about makes us look like an idiot, it's Clay Thompson. And I'm with you. I kind of hope he does. I would love nothing more than a return to form season from Clay. Who are the players who you would not mind making us look stupid? Um, let me see. Ch-ch-ch. Um, I mean, I had Franz Wagner higher than you guys did. I think he <laughs> Franz can really hoop. Good. Franz, I think I wrote that he has the uh, highest um, Masala to name ratio in the NFL, like or in the NBA, in the sense that he's got a name that would not imply spice, but in fact is bringing a ton of spice on the basketball court. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> um, who else? Uh, 
I don't know. I think it'd be interesting to see like Nurkic bounce back, like mm-hmm. someone who I really like uh, as a player, and obviously it was hard to like be super super excited about him. Uh, Josh Giddy, I came for him to be on the list, mm-hmm. so we got him on the list, and I would like for him to make you guys look bad. <laughs> I would like to see DeAndre Ayton make a leap because of all the BS he had to go through last year. And now they've kind of had this awkward start in Phoenix where he doesn't seem to be particularly happy. Frosty relationship with Monty Williams. Yeah. And he said, I can show him better than I can tell him. And I'd like to see that. And I think that he's another example of a center, very relative to his context. He plays with one of the best backcourts in the league. That changes his role a lot, makes his life a lot easier. You're not throwing him the ball, asking you to get a bucket but he can still score in a variety of ways when he's playing off these guards. And I don't, not in a regretful way. We put guys like Scotty Barnes, Cade Cunningham uh, ahead of Aiton. And that makes sense to me. Those are players with their ball, with the ball in their hands. But I would, I hope we get a leap from, from DA just because of it's, it's kind of a crazy situation that he's gone through in Phoenix the last couple of years. Yeah. Well, well, here's my question for you. Um, Mm -hmm. What, like, let's say, you know, he has the best possible of DeAndre Ayton season without saying he turns into, like, a magically good three-point shooter, right? Like, mm-hmm. just within the framework of what he does. I mean, how high would that really get him on the list? We had him 49. Like, even even if he, let's say he averaged 20 and 12, mm-hmm. like, how, how high would that get him if his style of play is the same? Well, like, that's really the key because I think the style of play has to change a little bit. And what what would need to happen is he'd need to, he'd need to have the ball a little bit more, which... I don't know how realistic that is with Chris Paul on the team, but I think he could get into the low 40s range, like into the 41 to 45, um, if he is the kind of player who, you know, I don't think he's going to turn into Bam Adebayo in terms of playmaking and things like that, but can he have more possessions where he is the ball at the elbow and can use his athleticism as a, as a matchup advantage against whoever's guarding him, you know, rise up for – he was really efficient – shooting mid-range jumpers last year. I think he shot a better percentage from mid-range than Jason Tatum. Obviously, the volume is way different, but that, that that's the way I'd like to see him improve his game and how I, I think he can actually take a step up on this list is do they trust him with the ball in their hands? I mean, part of it is trust. The other part of it is you have two guys like in Chris Paul and Devin Booker who want the ball a lot, and rightfully so. They can do incredible things with it, but in many ways, he's been in the perfect place for a center to grow because he's not asked to do too much. But in other ways, you know, this team has this contract dispute with him, but they're also purposefully not asking him to do too much in a way that we don't even really know how much better he could get as kind of a more offensively central player. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think I'll probably always be a little bit skeptical in terms of like what he's going to really add. But like, I was a big you know, Aiden Believer coming into the draft. Like, mm-hmm. And he's been really good. Like, my my biggest problem with, and this is apart from the fact that, you know, I was wrong and I had him, you know, I had him ahead of Luca. So did a lot of people. But um, I, I think the biggest thing that was, like, weird about the discussion with him coming into the draft was, like, everyone was like, oh, he's such a bad defender and he can't improve. It's like, yeah, he was a bad defender in college, but, like, he had never been coached before, really, frankly. Mm-hmm. Like, had never really had any high-level coaching. So he was one of the most athletic seven-footers um, in the world already, at, you know, when he was at Arizona, so it was like it's hard for me to see that not that guy not becoming a, <laughs> eventually a good defender, right? So he's done it. Um, I don't know. I, I it's interesting how the narrative around him is always kind of mm-hmm. like tick back and forth, but like, um, I think if you like absolved him of the Luca thing, which was not his fault, that was the NBA screwing up. Uh, it would be, <laughs> the discussion around Aiton would probably be a little yeah. bit less. Um, um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, it, but it would be. I think it would be easier to like agree on how what his value. Yes, is. it would. It would be less kind of. It's been poisoned a little bit. It's a. Yeah. It's a chaotic. Um, I didn't realize that. Yeah. I didn't know that you had Aiton over Luca. That surprises. Yeah, I mean a lot of people did, but like for sure. I mean he went number yeah. one. Yeah, but I also like that was well. A, I think I was just worse at my job than than I am now. Like I don't care. Like I'm not <laughs> mad at myself for that. Like if someone tweets <laughs> to me like old oh, exposed. I'm like yeah, I don't care. Like. I don't know. We all have some know. old. I thought Thomas Robinson was going to be better than Anthony Davis. So yeah, I don't know. I, I'm still I holding out hope on that one. I, I choose to not like. I choose to not decide that like opinions that I had in my mid twenties should like. <laughs> yes. Determine my worth. As <laughs> we a we've all had some bad. 
We've all I, had some bad mid-20s opinions. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah. It's not the yeah. deal. <laughs> there are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I want to ask, you're writing the watch list later this week, and I don't want to spoil... All the players who are going to be on there, I mean, you know, it's it's the younger players with, with, similar to what we've done every year. I just want to ask, if you had to tell me one guy who's not on the list this year, you know, you've been scouting these rookies, you've watched the Boncaros and the Holmgrens and the Matherins way more than I have. Who, which, you know, Jabari Smith, which rookie are you most confident is going to be on the list next year if you had to pick one? Um, if I had to pick one, I would say Keegan Murray. Really? Um, I think he's really good right now. I mean, because he was, um, he's kind of the most controversial pick of the draft, was he not? Yeah, maybe. Not to me. Um, I don't see a problem with that at all. Um, mm-hmm. I just think he well, – well, well, I mean, you didn't watch him play at Iowa at all probably. Um, but basically <laughs> what happened was – Basically no, what happened was – was not watching a lot of Iowa basketball. His, his freshman year at Iowa, he was a redshirt freshman, so he was old. Um, but he was like, they had Luca Garza and they had Joe Wieskamp, who you know were both really really good players. Um, and so Keegan was, you know, coming off the bench, not playing a ton, but was always really impactful in his minutes. Like when you watch closely, and it was like pretty obvious when you watch them closely that he was the best prospect. Um, mm-hmm. They didn't play him a lot, which led to him coming back to school because I don't think he had enough, quite enough traction to like definitively go. Uh, but then he came back and he was just a monster and like exceeded expectations like as a star. And we didn't know if he could do that. And then all of a sudden he was like this high usage guy. Uh, so one year he's a great defender, great role player. Um, the next year he proves he can be a really, really good high efficiency, high volume offensive player. Now we see him at summer league and he's added a pretty consistent three point shot. Uh, and you know that he's playing with other stars. It's like, this game is his game is clearly very malleable. Um, mm-hmm. He's a little bit older, which is okay in this case because he's probably going to play right away. And like, I don't know if he'll jump Harrison Barnes and like start, or I don't know if they're going to play Barnes, Simonis, and Keegan together. I assume they'll try. Um, but this dude can play with anybody. He's going to produce. You don't have to run a ton of plays for him. Um, and I think it's one of those rare picks where, uh, again, I view 
so I feel bad that I've made, been making fun of like Obi Toppin in this context, but like I don't think it's going to be an Obi Toppin situation where like this old college player turns out to be a pumpkin when you get him on the floor. Like it's not going to happen. I like um, Obi Toppin. Yeah, but he's not a seventh overall pick, which is what he was. Um, so yeah, and, and then I mean, my my second pick would probably be Jabari Smith, just because I would have taken him one, um, which I will. I'm totally happy like doubling down on it. Like I might end up being wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think like he is so like well equipped for what the NBA is. Uh, and there's, you know, some discussion about like Houston being a bad situation for him, but I actually think he's the type of player where he's just going to make the situation better for everybody mm-hmm. else. Um, you know, cause he's a really, really good defender. Like I think he was, in my opinion, he was the best defensive player at summer league. Uh, I think the defense is going to be there right away. Uh, he's not the guy who's going to be like emotionally overwhelmed despite being really, really young. Um, mm-hmm. and he's, he's very ready, I think, ready for the NBA in that way. Um, and, yeah, I mean, he's going to make shots. Like, I think, you know, his first preseason game was really good, and not to overreact to that, but it was refreshing to see him make a bunch of threes after everybody was getting on him at Summer League. And his shot looked a little bit flat then, right? So, like, mm-hmm. those two guys, I just think, have the skill sets that are best suited to, like, immediately being impactful. And, like, you know, I think Paolo, I would guess Paolo probably winds up on our list too somewhere. Um but also, I think it's going to be a bumpy road for him with with turnovers and learning curve and just playing a lot of games and having to like get up and get after it every single night. Mm-hmm. Like I think that's going to take him a little bit more time. But like those are to me are probably the three best rookies right now. Interesting. Uh, the three guys who I would say like probably make our list next year if I was going to bet. Very interesting because I know the Kings obviously caught a lot of flack for taking Keegan Murray at number four overall. I like it when older prospects still thrive. I don't like this. <laughs> this kind of system we've set up where if you're not one and done, you're immediately judged as a prospect. So I hope he's good. I want all these rookies to be great. So you mentioned you're in Vegas to watch Victor Wembanyama play. Here's a question I'm going to, I'm going to spring on you that I didn't tell you I was going to ask you, but there's, I, I don't remember the is Zion was probably the, the player with this much hype. The last player with this much hype on them coming into the draft, you know, by most accounts, he's going to be the number one overall pick, even though some people think Scoot Henderson has a chance. Do you think Wembenyama could could deserve to be the first rookie to make the top 100 next year? Is is this, is his oh. skill that tantalizing? Yeah, I mean, if I like saying this now, we still probably won't do it because we kind of got to just like stick to the rules, mm-hmm. uh, which govern our list. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like I would be tempted to put him on the list next year. I mean, look, like, well, the Zion thing is interesting because. Um, going into the draft, sure. Uh, but, you know, Zion's uh, freshman year at Duke, uh, you know, even coming into the season, uh, he was not a consensus number one pick. Um, and, you know, he was number one on our site, which is something I am proud of, even though I'm here saying I don't care about past opinions. Like, yeah, I was right <laughs> about that. Um, but, like, look, like, um, you know, a lot of people had R.J. Barrett number one um, that year coming into the draft, which I also did not have, which you might have guessed. But, like, Anyway, um, look, I, I think... Um, <laughs> I wish everyone could see the smile on, on uh, Wu's face as he, as he said that. No, no, I should stop. I respect RJ as a player. Uh, I do. But uh, point, point being, like, I, I do think the, the, the hype with him is very warranted. Um, you know, I sat in there and I watched their practice yesterday. And, you know, I've probably watched him, you know, five to ten times on Synergy or various games over the years. This is my first time seeing him up close, and it's just, like, it's so stupid. Like, the way I <laughs> the way I explained it to someone this morning uh, is it's, like, it almost feels like I don't have to scout him because it's just, like, so obvious why he's good because he is gigantic and his body is starting to fill out and he moves so well. And you just look at it. It's like, yeah, that's going to work. Like, why do I have to think too hard about that? Like, uh, so... Um, yeah, in terms of hype, it's always hard to say. But I will say, yeah, like coming into the season, um, he's definitely the first, at least in like the NBA circles, like he's the first like consensus number one prospect, I would say, in a really long time. And I, I would have to look and look back to tell you like when I think the last one was. But like, uh, you know, LeBron was one. Um, Luca was not one. You know, he didn't go first. And uh, I think I think part of it, too, is I would, I would mention two things. Like, one, I think we are now a lot more receptive to the idea of European players dominating the NBA mm-hmm. because it happens all the time. Well, not all the time, but, like, there have been special players. You know, a lot of the best players for, on our list are were not born in the U.S. Um, so I think just generally we're more receptive to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, 
yeah, again, I think Luca going third and then being as good as everybody should have thought he was uh, probably reinforced that. Uh, it probably mm-hmm. helps Victor a little bit um, where there's not that stigma. Uh, but yeah, it's also like a lot easier to watch these guys play now. Um, you know, like I, I admit, like when you know, the year Luca was in the draft, like I didn't have synergy access like all, all the time, so I couldn't watch mm-hmm. him as much. So I didn't do as much work as I should have. But also, I took it a lot less seriously then because we were uh, I was uh, poor living in New York, trying to <laughs> just trying to like work and, uh, and not uh, go insane. So like anyway, um, I, I think Victor like really deserves the hype. Uh, and I was really impressed with him, you know, in the interview he did, just a little press conference he did for, you know, 10 minutes with us yesterday, you know, very cool, very uh, collected, didn't seem overwhelmed by anything. And uh, his little comment about Scoot was like not meant, like, I think, I think that went viral, but it was really not like a, I think it, it was not like a slight, like that was not how he meant Well, it. I was going to say the same thing about you. If I hadn't been born, you'd probably be the most handsome person on oh, the thanks. Sports Illustrated basketball staff that uh, went to Northwestern and graduated <laughs> in 2015. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, no, like the Victor stuff is like very real. Um, like Scoot's really good. And, you know, I talked to Scoot yesterday too, and I think he's very, you know, he's been Can we just talk about how exciting it is to have a prospect named Scoot? I know, it's great. Well, he used to that's be, sick. Early, early in his career, he was going by Scooter with like an A at the end, like Scooter. Oh my God, that's sick, dude. They dropped, but they dropped the A and I was like, man, That's I so lame. Man, I should ask him about that. I should have asked him that yesterday. Bro, um, if we had a Scooter, the number, I would buy, I, I've I'll not bought an NBA jersey in, I'll tell him. Yeah. in, I don't even know how many years, but I'm buying a Scooter one for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, um, but yeah, you know, he was downplaying it, but I can tell he's excited for this too and, you know, I don't know if there's much, like, if Scoot scores 100 points in this first game, uh, I don't know if he would, I still don't know for sure if he'd get picked ahead of Victor, frankly, but it's okay. Like, it's not really a big deal. Like, it's one of those drafts where there's, at least there's going to be two really good players at the top, so. Um, yeah, and I'm curious to see, you know, if how this week goes, you know, like, say there are some teams, you know, you know who are sort of like on the fringe of like totally blowing it up. Like say you're like mm-hmm. the papers and it's like, Hey, we could trade miles Turner. It's like, do we see Victor? If he has two good games this week, do we say, okay, yeah, we can just trade him now. Like it's fine. Mm. Like, <laughs> I don't know if that's the case, but, but anyway, yeah. Point being this guy, I think very much lives up to the hype. Um, I would not get too caught up in like what the numbers are this year. Cause they, you know, they put him on this, this new team to sort of mm-hmm. help micromanage his body and his playing time. And like, I think have have more control over the situation, which I think is smart because, again, when you have this consensus number one status, and when you are you know uh, seven foot, he's listed at seven two. I think he's taller, just from me eyeballing it. Um, with, with like you know some basic you know minor injury history so far, mm-hmm. like yeah, you do have to be careful. And I think you know Chet getting hurt um, you know this summer was a bummer, but I think also <laughs> you know probably illustrates why there needs to be a level of caution as they bring him along. So. Um, I don't know exactly like what type of year he'll have, but I do think like I would not doubt that he is going to be if he's healthy. He's going to change the NBA. Like I really think so. Well, we will absolutely be having that debate next off season. Uh, Wu, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm very excited about the three person episode. We're going to run with Herring later this week because we're going to relitigate some arguments that I personally still feel very passionately about. As it relates to the very top players on our list, it's going to be heated. Uh, Everyone, please be sure to check out the top 100 on SI.com. Players 100 through 31 have been released in two separate posts, so be sure to check that out on SI.com. Until the next episode, everyone, please continue to enjoy the NBA offseason. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.